0: and highly flavored, huh? Salt of the earth, huh? All right, good, good, good and great. Listen, tonight's teaching is about how to lead someone to Christ. Um, As I was thinking about this teaching, I think I need to back up a bit and just lay a foundation uh, about what evangelism should typically look like. Uh, Look at Romans one sixteen if you have your Bibles, Romans one sixteen. Romans 1.16, very well-known passage says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first for, to the Jew, then to the Gentile. And we'll stop right there. The gospel here is called the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. So if you, you break up that phrase, you have the power of God, the power of God to do what? To bring salvation. Salvation to who? To everyone who believes. Evangelism is preaching the gospel. Now as far as details of what the gospel message entails, I I covered that last time I taught here. So I'm I'm not going to go back to that. But you can go to the previous teaching. But you preach the gospel, right? And it's the power of God. The power of God is upon you, moving through you. The grace of God is moving. The Spirit of God is convicting your hearer, opening their eyes to the truth, humbling them, kind of helping them to see Jesus Christ as he really is. It's the power of God. God's going to bless the gospel message when we preach it. And it brings salvation, but only to the one who believes Look at Romans 10, verse 9, another well-known passage. It says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess and are saved. So here's how evangelism should look in a perfect world, right? Well, in a perfect world, we wouldn't need evangelism, but a perfect evangelistic situation. You walk up to so-and-so and introduce yourself and they agree to talk to you about Jesus. You preach the gospel to them. They believe the gospel because the Holy Spirit is stirring faith in their heart. And they act on that faith. They put their trust in Jesus. They verbalize it. Notice it says that they confess him as Lord. They verbalize their faith. And the Bible says we are saved by faith. We're not saved by work. So in that moment, that person has crossed over from death to life. They have become a child of God. Uh, to make it plain, when I say to lead someone to Christ, I mean Christian conversion, to, to put it plainly. It's Christian conversion. This is one of the primary goals of evangelism. And as an aside, I say it's one of the primary goals, but it's not the only goal. If conversion was the only goal of evangelism, then we would all be very, very discouraged. And we would be failures. We'd be batting .001. We'd be doing really, really bad. Because I'll admit, the number of people who have really gave their life to Jesus in front of me, I can count on hand. Really. People that I'm confident Really made that, that choice for the Lord. I, I can count on hand. And so that's one of the goals. It's a primary goal, but it's not the only thing. And in point of fact, it's not my job to save them. Which is, it just takes the burden off my shoulders. So, uh, but, but it's really about obedience to God. It's about declaring who He is and revealing Him to this, to this world. And in the process, those who believe this proclamation are saved. Talking about leading someone to Christ. That in itself is just a modern Christian vernacular to describe conversion. There are other ways people say it. Uh, To receive Christ, for example. Have you heard that before? To accept Jesus into your heart. To make Jesus the leader of your life. I heard that on the radio once. Make Jesus the leader of your life. Notice how they worded that. How they want to make it plain and make it understood to people. Well, there's different phrases. I just want you to think about those phrases because it really affects your evangelism. It's reflective of your theology. It's reflective of what you believe actually takes place when you lead someone to Christ. You get me? When they're, when they're saved, when they become a Christian. Um, it, it says a lot about what we truly believe. There are different ways that Christian leaders... Evangelists and churches try to bring about um, conversion. Uh, number one is the altar call. Has anyone ever been to an altar call? I was a rebel. I gave my life to Jesus during an altar call, but I did not go up to the altar. <laughs> Seriously, I I heard the I heard the call going forth from the preacher, and and God really was moving, and I gave my heart to Jesus that day, that morning, that moment. But I did not actually go up to the altar. So did I really get saved or not? Well, I guess I'm still here, right? Altar calls. And it's a way of trying to get somebody to respond to to actualize their faith, right? Because they have to verbalize it. There's going to be something where they must respond. They must confess sin. They must acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, etc., uh, that has to come about. So an altar call is one way. It's not how they always done it, but it's it's a way. It's not a bad way, but it's a way. Decision cards. Now we just had Easter a couple weeks ago. Our church does not do decision cards, but maybe your church does. And so people who maybe raise their hand, they don't go to the altar, but they raise their hand. And and maybe you've heard a preacher. Maybe you've been to a service where the where where the preacher says. If, if God is touching you, if you know you need to give your life to Jesus, if you want to go to heaven, just raise your hand. And, and, then, and then everyone with their hand raised, the ushers go out and they give them a basket with uh, jelly beans, a uh, New Testament and a decision card. And they count all the decision cards after the service and say, woohoo, we got 300 decision cards. But do decision cards equate to salvation? Did those people come back the week after Easter? I want to know that. Just saying. Um, walking the aisle is another thing. All of this tends to take place in the context of a church service. There's also the sinner's prayer. Uh, not something I'm against. Uh, my pastor has, was saved by, through, via the sinner's prayer. He confessed his faith in Jesus through the sinner's prayer at his mom's kitchen table. I can't take away from that. And say that it never works, or that it's a wrong method. We're all trying to get people to respond to the gospel, and that's that's a way to do it. Um, but these can sometimes lead to false conversions. These things—altar calls, decision cards, raising the hand, the sinner's prayer—they're not inherently bad, but they do not guarantee conversion. And in fact, nothing we do can really guarantee conversion. There are things that we do to let us know and maybe give an indication, I think that person was serious. I think that person really gave their life to Jesus. And and there are ways that they can show that. Uh, But it doesn't guarantee a conversion. And it can lead to false conversions. Now, Jesus was a person who wanted real disciples. He did not want fans. He did not want a crowd of phonies. Amen. Amen. Jesus was interested in real disciples. Throughout his ministry, you'll actually see crowds follow Jesus, and then he'll turn around and say something so offensive to him that all but 12 of thousands and thousands of people will leave him. So clearly he's not interested in in numbers. Oh, I got 300 decisions cards. I led this person in a prayer. And those are ways we could try to put uh, notches on our spiritual belt, so to speak. Um, Jesus was not that sort of way look at John 2 I'll spend a little bit of time in John's gospel look at John 2 verse 23 John 2 verse 23 this is after Jesus uh, flipped the tables at, um, at the temple in Jerusalem John 2 23 says now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, uh, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Now, just taking verse 23 into account, you think, amazing, Jesus, you hit a home run. Many people believed in his name. And immediately after, he did not entrust himself to them. On one hand, they believe in his name. On the other hand, he does not entrust himself to them. What does that say about the quality of their faith? It's not a genuine faith. There's maybe some fascination with him. They're intrigued by him. Maybe maybe they're thinking that he has something to offer them that he's really not into, but they think that. But clearly he's not entrusting himself to them because it says he knows what is in each person. And, and that's something that we don't know. We don't know what is in each person. That's, that's, that's what we have to figure out with God's help many times. Jesus had that perfect knowledge. Jesus could look at someone who says, yeah, I believe in you, Lord, but then he'll call them out on it. Without even a question. There's some other passages in John that spell this out. Look at John 6.35. This took place after Jesus fed the multitudes. Everyone knows that story. And after he fed them, they were so intrigued by him, they were so drawn to him that they actually, when when he left after the fact, he crossed, got in a boat and crossed a lake. They went and followed after him. They got in boats and crossed after him. You'd think, man, these folks are committed. I'm going to make these people deacons, right? John 6, 35, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I have told you, you have seen me and still do not believe. All who the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do uh, my will, but the will of him who sent me. Now, look, just look at verse 36 there. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. They went through all the trouble of following him across a lake and peppering him with questions because they really want to know who he is. They want to know what he's about. But they have him all wrong. And, and Jesus is calling them out on it. You don't really believe But again, in our church, we don't know what is in each man. And oftentimes, when people show any hint of excitement about being a Christian, any hint of excitement in the church, um, we're we're quick to call it a conversion. Whenever they raise their hand, we call it a conversion. Whenever they fill out a card, we call it a conversion. You know what tells me they're converted when they're there a month later, when they're there a year later? I want to see fruit. I want to see fruit. Not a decision, a decision alone will not save you if that decision is not a genuine decision. So Jesus made much of this. I'll, I'll give you one more text from John John 8 31 to the Jews who had believed him Jesus said, well let me pause, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said. Everyone we see that? If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Isn't that powerful? You would think that people would clamor to receive the freedom he offers. They would clamor to be his disciples. They would clamor to know the truth. And I'm not going to read the rest of the passage, but it ends with them trying to kill him. And him calling them children of the devil, and these are the Jews who believed him. These were not born again. They were not saved. They didn't. They were not in any type of right relationship with God. So when John in his gospel says they believed, he it, it, that doesn't necessarily mean a saving faith. It's it's a it's a verbal confession. It's. It's fascination, and come on, we see this in the church a lot. You'll see somebody go to church for three weeks looking just super geeked, super excited. A youth group, come on. You'll see even people worshiping. They'll put, like, Jesus with hearts on their Facebook status, and then and then on week four, they're out of there. You don't know where they're at. And then they're taking shirtless selfies on Facebook. And then they're cussing people out, and, you, you know, you just, and then you're reaching out to them, but they're just out there. And... Um, I, I believe there's false conversion. I think it could even give the facade weeks and months, really. Of somebody who's not really believing in Jesus, but they're excited about church, they're excited about various other things. And then reality hits. You know, Jesus gave the parable of the seed and the sower. And three out of four... Um, ultimately do not bear fruit. Some of them spring up. Some of them bear fruit for a short time. They fall away. And so, the Jews who believed in him here ended up wanting to kill him. And he did not applaud them for their faith. He did not say, hey, uh, that's awesome. I just need you to fill out a decision card. He ended up calling them children of the devil. So how do we lead someone to Christ if we can't judge someone's heart and if we cannot really trust all the methods that we use to to elicit a, a faithful response from people? I'll give you a few tips here. Number one, gauge their reactions, gauge their reactions. Acts 237. I'm, I'm going to be a little quick. How, mo- how am I doing on time? Wow. I'm going to be a little quick here. I'm not going to read every passage. But Acts 2.37, when when Peter preached the gospel on the day of Pentecost, it says they were cut to the heart. They're cut to the heart and said, what must we do? What must we do? They showed humility in their their stance. They showed a brokenness. They showed a realization um, of the truth of what Peter was preaching. Similarly, in Acts 16.31, you have the Philippian jailer and he too, he he asks very plainly, what must I do to be saved? When's the last time you've heard that in evangelism? Is the person you're leading to Christ even want to be saved? We got to gauge their reaction. So if I have somebody that's just super indifferent and and not responsive at all, and you could just tell they're being polite to talk to me, I'm not going to lead them. I know I could possibly lead them in a prayer. I could get them to repeat something after me, but I won't. God could use it. God could use it. I could be all wrong and God could use it. but I think that would be the exception and not the rule. The the rule is that the gospel is the power of God and people are convicted and people are challenged and people are changed when they hear it. And when the power of God hits you, it's not just like, ooh, what was that? It's like there is a tangible reaction. So we got to gauge that. Uh, Number two, help them count the cost. We know the famous passage, Matthew 16, verses 24 through 25. Jesus turned to the people and said, if anyone wants to be my disciple, they must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Anyone who tries to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. That's not a sales pitch, folks. That's not motivational speech. And we need to be the same. We need to help people understand they got to stop sitting. Like, let me give you an example. You see a couple together, boyfriend, girlfriend. I would plainly tell them, I know this sounds super rude, super taboo, but I'd plainly tell them, uh, are you guys having sex outside of marriage? And if they say yes, I said, listen, you need to cut that out. You need to stop that. If you're serious about what I'm telling you. You need to stop that. You need to do something about that. And they'll know that they're either going to break up or they're or they're going to live holy or do something if they take Jesus seriously, right? And so we need to help people understand, dude, your life doesn't belong to you. It's not just you believe what I say today, then go on, live your life and go to heaven after you die. You bring the kingdom of heaven here with you now. Your life changes now. You're in a relationship with God now, here and now. Help them count the costs. Help them to understand the changes that are required of Jesus' disciples. Number three, explain the bad news. Oftentimes, we tell the good news without saying the bad news. We tell people Jesus will save them, but they don't know what to be saved from. To put it plainly, they need to be saved from sin and death. Amen? And I don't want to belabor the point, but they need to understand they're sinners. They need to understand that they cannot save themselves. They need to understand that they have actually done wrong against a holy God, etc., etc., etc. We need to make that clear, especially as we try to lead them to Christ so that they know if, if they, how they respond to the message is not a light thing. It's not like, hey, I'm offering you Pepsi, but you're going to stick with Coke. okay? It's like, I'm offering you life, and if you don't choose life, you're going to remain in death. That's how it is. Explain the bad news. Number four, encourage them to pray in their own words. If you use the sinner's prayer, pray for them and tell them it's not a magic prayer. It's not a magic prayer. There's no little formula that's going to save you, no, no combination of words that's going to save you. But I'm going to pray for you. And God's going to answer my prayer. I'm going to pray for God to convict you of sin. I'm going to pray for God to reveal himself to you. I'm going to pray for God, to the Holy Spirit, to keep hammering this in until you get it. And to spare your life so you don't perish and go to hell. And now you pray. Confess your sin. And, and this is where, you know, it, it could get awkward because a lot of people, they don't know how to pray and they may be genuine. So this is this is really it's, it's hard to make a blanket statement about how this could possibly go. But but I would encourage them to pray in their own words. I would encourage that to confess sin to, to be specific about the things they need to change and to confess with their mouth. Jesus is Lord As they believe in their hearts, God raised them from the dead and are saved. All right, that's my word for you.